Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm glad to see you have them with you tonight. We'll be using them as we have been. 2 Peter chapter 3, and follow along as I read, beginning with verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Now turn over, if you would please, to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Revelation chapter 21. And we read these words, John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither, there sh neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus. It is because of Jesus and only because of Jesus that we have all of these wonderful hopes and promises and certainties. And so we thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being here tonight, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would open the Word of God to our hearts and minds and help us to understand and help us to go from here more in love with Jesus and determined to be faithful to Him until He comes for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the time period that we're talking about tonight is really not a time period because it's eternity. But to set it in place for you in context, let me remind you that this is, is, takes place after the millennium. The topic that I was asked to address tonight 
is entitled Life in the Afterlife. Well, the millennium takes place and then there is the great white throne judgment where those who have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ hear their sentence and they are cast into the lake of fire for eternity, forever, no end to that. And then we begin what we refer to tonight as the afterlife. And the question is, what is it going to be like? Life in the afterlife. You ought to be interested in that, and I have discovered over many years that most believers are really interested in that and wonder about it a lot, sometimes have a lot of questions about it. And so I would like to address this topic of life in the afterlife tonight by raising and then addressing myself to five questions. The first question will be, what will I be like? The second question, what will my world be like? The third question, what will I do? The fourth question, will I have a home, flowers, gardens, pets, things like that? And then my last question will be, so what does all of this have to do with us right now? So let's begin with question number one, which is, what will I be like? Well, you already know this, I think, but you will be in a resurrected body. You know that Jesus is coming back in the rapture and those who have believed on Jesus Christ in the past and who have died as believers, their bodies will be raised from the grave and we who are still alive and remain, and I think we very well may be among that number, only time will tell, but those who are alive and remain will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And so the first thing I would like to tell you regarding the question, what will I be like, is that you and I will have resurrected bodies. Now let me pause for just a moment. You know about the resurrection. My emphasis is on the word body. You are going to have a body, a resurrected body, but it is a body. Now let's use our Bibles. Turn back, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I, I, I wish we had time to read the whole chapter. It's such a wonderful chapter. We don't. So I'm just going to lift verses that specifically address what I'm looking at right now out of that chapter. Look down in 1 Corinthians 15, first of all, if you would, at verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now down to verse 44. Speaking of that body, the resurrection body, it is sown a natural body. That is, it's put in the grave as a natural body, that which we have now. It is raised a spiritual body. Now stop for just a moment and look at that. It is raised a body. It's a spiritual body, but it's still a body, a real body. Verse 44 goes on to say there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Notice it does not say there is a body and there is a spirit. That would be true, of course, but in this context, the emphasis is upon the body. It is our natural, corruptible, physical body which is put in the grave but that which comes out of the grave is still a real body, but it is incorruptible. It is a spiritual body. Look down at verse 48, if you would, please. As is the earthy, that's Adam, if you look back up at verse 47. As is of the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. You and I are descendants of Adam. So we have bodies like Adam's fallen, corruptible body. As are the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. The heavenly one who is spoken here is the second man of uh, verse 47. That's Jesus. 
So verse 48 is saying, just as Adam was, so are we now. But just as Jesus was when he rose from the grave, so we will be when we are resurrected. Verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we're like Adam now, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. When we are raised or when we are changed, if we're alive at the time Jesus comes for us, our bodies will be changed and they will become incorruptible. They will become like the resurrection body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what will I be like? Well, first of all, I will be a body. Secondly, I will be like Jesus. Turn, if you would, please, over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we read these words, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when Jesus comes back in the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So our body is going to be like the body of Jesus when he was resurrected. Now, I... I hinted at this last week, but let me mention it again because it's important. When Jesus rose from the grave, he did not just arise in spirit. There are some so-called Christian denominations which teach that, and that is heresy. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. And so when Jesus rose from the grave, he rose, his body rose. He proved that when he said to Thomas, reach out and touch the nail prints in my hand. Spirits don't have wounds or uh, nail prints that could be touched and felt. That takes a body to do that. When Jesus told Thomas to reach and touch his side, to feel the scar there in the side where the Roman centurion's spear had been thrust in that's a body which thomas was touching you can't touch a spirit like that and a spirit would not have wounds literal wounds like that when jesus was walking on the day that he rose from the grave later that day he met two disciples who were headed toward the little town of emmaus and he walked along with them and he was in a body, he walked. There was nothing that, there's nothing in the scripture that tells us that those two disciples were startled or wondered because Jesus was floating along six inches above the ground. No, Jesus was in a body and we shall be like him when we are in this new afterlife. When uh, the disciples were there on the Sea of Galilee some days later and they had been fishing during the night and it was now morning and breakfast time and they saw Jesus on the shore and he, was, he had a fire and he was cooking breakfast, fish for their breakfast. Spirits don't eat like that. When his disciples, I don't really mean to be humorous about this, but when his disciples ate with Jesus and watched him take a bite and swallow, they did not see the food going down a hollow tube in a, uh, an invisible uh, being. No, Jesus was in a body, his resurrected body. And uh, so it will be in our resurrection. Now you might say, but Jesus, when the disciples were locked in a room because they were afraid, Jesus appeared to them. He didn't knock on the door. They didn't open the door for him. He just appeared. Does that mean that in our bodies, like Jesus, we'll be, just, we'll be able to just appear places? I, I don't know the answer to that. It could be. 
It also could be that that was a part of Jesus' divinity, which he does not share with others. We don't know yet. Jesus is God, and we are not going to be God, though there are some religions even here in the U.S. which teach that. We're not going to be God, and so that could have been just a part of his divinity. We just simply don't know the answer to that question. But what we do know is that we will, in this afterlife, we will be living as we are now in a body, only it will be a body which is incorruptible, a spiritual body, that which is equipped for that world. And then what will I be like? I would like to remind you that I will be me. That's not good grammar, but it communicates. I will be myself. And you will be you. And we will be known that way. Turn back, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 12. Paul says, for now, we see through a glass darkly. Things are a little dim regarding some details about the future. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. I'm going to be me, you're going to be you. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I do not believe I will wear glasses unless I just choose to wear them just because I like the style. And that could be, but I doubt it. I've worn them long enough. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'll have white hair, but I might. Jesus had white hair in Revelation chapter 4. But whether I have white hair or not, I will be me. You, uh, maybe with two or three exceptions, you don't remember 50 years ago when my hair was coal black. But it was. And it just turned white for some reason over the years, and it wasn't my beautiful wife I live with who did that. I have the most wonderful wife in the world. But uh, what is my point? You're going to recognize me by my personality. Now, it will not be distorted by sin, uh, original sin from Adam or my own sin, it will not be twisted or distorted in any way, but it will be my personality as God has permitted me to develop. You will be you. People who know you will recognize you. So in looking at this matter of life and the afterlife, the first question is, what will I be like? And I think the main thing I want you to get out of that is you will be you in your body. It will be a body which is incorruptible. You will never get sick. You'll never uh, have to take any vaccines or anything. You, uh, it will be incorruptible, but it will be you and you will be in your body. My second question is this, what will my world be like? We've read the scriptures where this world was destroyed by water in the flood and uh, God has kept his promise never to destroy it again by water. He's not done so. <clears throat> but he has told us in his word, it is a promise, that he is going to destroy this world by fire. After the millennium, at the time of the great white throne judgment, this world is going to go up in flames. And the scriptures that we have already read tell us that that it's going to melt, the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. Turn, if you would, please, back to the Old Testament. Even the Old Testament speaks of some of these things. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 25, and look down at verse 8, speaking of this time. We read these words, he will swallow up death in victory. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. The curse is going to be lifted in that new world, for the Lord hath spoken it. Turn, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 speaks of the, the terrible thing which has happened to this world because of sin and what the hopes are for the future of the creation. We who know Jesus as Savior, we have that great hope. We're looking for his return when we will be raised or changed. And this whole creation is looking for that recreation. Romans chapter 8, verse 19, if you would please. In verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature, and the word creature there is simply referring to everything that was created in this creation. As a matter of fact, down in verse 22, it's called the whole creation. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. When our bodies are redeemed, we're raised incorruptible. This creation is waiting for that. For the creature was made subject to vanity. This is the curse. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The earth that God created is going to be released from that curse, from that bondage. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together till now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So you and I are looking forward to that time when we will be released, the curse will be lifted from us, our bodies will be changed and will become incorruptible. This whole creation in which we are living now is doing the same thing. Now, I can't fully comprehend that, but Jesus said when he was coming into Jerusalem and uh, the children were praising him and the people were, he said if they did not do so, the very stones would cry out. Do you believe that? I do. I don't understand it, but I believe it. Jesus said it and he knows, and he knows his creation. I don't know how it would happen, but but it would have happened. We're told in the scriptures that in the day of creation, the morning stars sang together. They were part of the creation. And so today as we are here, not only do we groan in these bodies which get sick and which are subject to temptation and all of that, but the whole creation groans in its various ways. And the whole creation is waiting for the day when the curse will be lifted and it will also be redeemed. Turn, if you would, please, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. In verses one, uh, verse two, Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 and 2, and John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. But let, let me stop for just a moment. Notice that John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He, he saw an earth. There is an earth in the future. Jesus is going to redo this earth just like he's going to redo us not in the same fashion, by the same methodology. But this earth is going to be changed also. It's going to be recreated. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's going to be a new earth. And there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a city. And um, that city is seen coming down from God out of heaven. Many, many of God's people have a picture, and, and I did for years. And it may, may turn out to be accurate. I don't think so, but it might turn out to be accurate. But a picture of this new earth and then this heavenly city coming down, but stopping somewhere above this earth and existing suspended above, but separate from the earth. As, as I have read the scriptures and have pondered them and thought on them and have read this passage and the rest of the description of the city of New Jerusalem, I don't think this New Jerusalem is going to stop in some kind of suspended state up way up in the sky above the new earth. I believe that this verse is telling us that uh, this New Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven and it comes to this new earth of verse 1. And so I expect that city to be planted on this earth. I, I have some other reasons for thinking that's so. Um, look, if you would, please, at chapter 21, um, verse... Uh, well, I, we don't have time to read all of this. The city's described in chapter 21, verse 10, through chapter 22, verse 5. But look at... Uh, along with the, the, the second verse with it coming down from God out of heaven to this earth, look at verse 13. This city has 12 gates. And the gates are, verse 13, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. Now those directions of the compass, north, south, east, and west, are earthly directions. They're not space directions. And uh, you will notice that there are no gates on the bottom side of that city for exiting or entering that city, as there might be if it were suspended above the earth. Uh, nor are there any gates on top of it. It's north, south, east, and west. And so I think this city actually comes to the earth. Now this, this next comment is supposition on my part. I, I think it's informed supposition from knowing the scriptures. God's city is the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is not going to be destroyed. The Jerusalem which is there today is not going to be totally wiped away by the hordes of people around it who hate it and who want to wipe it off the map. That's the term they use. That's not going to happen. It is a special city to the heart of God. It's located in the place, I think, first of all, very close to, if not on the spot, of creation, of the Garden of Eden. I have reasons for that and no time for them tonight. There's incidentally some scientific evidence for that possibility. But uh, there in, the, in what we call the Middle East today, that's where God created man, somewhere in that region. I suspect it was there where the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount are located today. But also in the Old Testament, it was a very special place. It was the place where Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac and God provided the ram. It was the place where David purchased a place to build an altar and sacrifice to God, seeking for him to remove that plague from the people of Israel after David had sinned. It is the place where God had Solomon, David, but especially his son Solomon, who actually did the work, build the temple. And it is the place where Jesus was crucified. It is the place where Jesus ascended back to heaven. It is the place where Jesus will finally plant his feet on this earth at the second coming. Jerusalem is a very, very special place to the heart of God. 
I suspect that that new Jerusalem, and this is my supposition, but I suspect it will probably be located on the earth there, on that new earth, there where the city of Jerusalem is today. The Bible tells us a lot about that city. Uh, it's, it's, a place of, uh, it's a place with a river. It's a place with trees, forests. It's a place with much beauty of gold and precious stones and all of that. We're not going to get into that tonight because we could spend a month just with that. And I think you're familiar with it. You can read chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. But I would point out one thing to you about this new earth where that city is located. Look at chapter 21 of Revelation, verses 24 through 26. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, the city. It's lit by the glory of God. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. What will my world be like in the afterlife? Well, it's going to be a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It's also going to be a place of magnificent cultures. This brings us back to the point again that we are going to be who we are, only changed, incorruptible, no sin, no temptation. Satan will be in the lake of fire forever. And so it's going to be a place which is going to be very familiar in many ways to us. That city of Jerusalem will reign over the earth. Jesus will reign from there forever. But on that earth, there will be nations who will bring their presence, their glory into the city. It's going to be a place of wonderful cultures. Now, without intending to be funny or facetious at all, let's assume that we are in eternity and that we are there at our homes and some of us get together and say, I I'd like some Chinese food today. Let's go to China. And somebody else says, well, I'll, I'll go with you, but tomorrow I would like some Italian food. Let's go to Italy tomorrow. In other words, the cultures are not going to be erased. The bad things about all of our cultures will be gone. Those things which are blights, which have been caused by sin. There's so much sin in this world. But there will still be the beauty of the cultures. And so what does that have to do with you and me? We're going to be very comfortable, I think, in this new earth and new heaven and the new Jerusalem, because things are going to be familiar to us. God is going to permit you to live. He's preparing a place for you. He's going to permit you to live in a place where you are satisfied and comfortable and where you enjoy it. But there will still be all the variety of the cultures. And I'm so glad for that, aren't you? And so what will my world be like? Well, I've just touched it, but I've got to move along because I'm going to have you here till midnight tonight. I promise not to because I'm not allowed. Otherwise, I would. No. Question three, what will I do? Well, I'll hurry through it. Number one, we're going to serve God. Now, that's not some kind of otherworldly kind of thing. We serve God in this life we, we too often make a distinction between the secular and the sacred, and we understand that the pastor of the church is serving God. But I go to an office, or I drive a truck, or whatever. My dear friend, you are serving God if you're doing what he gave you to do, where he put you to do it. I can give you some Bible examples of that. Well, first of all, we'll serve God. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 references that. We won't read it. In uh, 
in the parable Jesus gave in Luke chapter 19, and again, I won't have you turn there, verse 17, but what one man who had been very faithful, Jesus said to him, I'll give you 10 cities in that time to oversee, to be the administrator over. And so we will serve God, but we'll serve him according to our talents and our God-given desires. I mentioned last week, I don't care to have an office in Tallahassee during that time. I don't like government. Uh, I mean, I don't mean I dislike government. I just don't enjoy that kind of activity. Um, but there will be those involved in government, in administration. There will be those who are involved in agriculture. In Genesis chapter 2, God gave Adam the responsibility for farming in the Garden of Eden. And I'm sure Adam enjoyed that until the time of the sin with the curse. In the Old Testament, we find people who were involved in accounting, in dealing with jewelry, carpentry, fashion design. I better tell you one place where you can find these things. Check sometime Exodus chapter 35 in the instructions for building the tabernacle. There were those who worked with the tapestries and sewed them together, wove them together. There were those who were involved in carpentry. There were those who worked with the jewels which were brought. There were those, in fact, you find this many places in the Bible, those who were involved with art and music. Um, there's gonna be much music in eternity and uh, I suspect there will be lots of art there because you find it in the Bible. Uh, what, if, uh, what if I like science? Well, there will be a place for scientists there exploring and finding out God's new creation throughout eternity, always finding and understanding more and more of those things. Yes, there will be a place for science, engineering, building things yes indeed cooking oh yes you find that in the scriptures jesus enjoyed eating with his disciples and the others so we will serve god but we will serve god in the kinds of activities for which he has made us according to our talents and according to our interests so i would ask you tonight what is it that you just like to do? If you could spend your whole life doing that, what would it be? Well, I don't know that that's what you're going to be doing in the new earth and the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. But I would guess it would give you a little clue as to what I, I would guess when you get there and eons later you think back on this evening here at the campus church, you probably will shake your head and say, yes, you know, this, what I'm doing does fit me, like he said. So what will we be doing? We will be serving God, but I will still be me. You will still be you. And God will give you responsibilities to serve him and things which are totally and completely fulfilling to you and which you enjoy beyond measure. Now, I don't know what to say to the medical doctors and the undertakers who are here. You better start developing another career right now. <laughs> there will be no sickness and no death, of course, and you know that, and uh, we chuckle about that. I, I want to rush on to question number four because it's so important and people wonder about this. Will I have a home Will there be flowers? Some of you don't care if they're not flowers, but some of you really do. Will there be gardens? Will there be animals? What about pets? Will there be pets in heaven? Well, let me tell you that I feel certain there are going to be animals there because we have some examples given to us. I guess the most obvious one is Jesus when he comes in the second coming comes riding a white horse. Now, he doesn't stop on the other side of the moon and pick that up from a stable somewhere. 
he brings that from heaven. There will be animals in, the, in eternity. Let me remind you of the bond. I, th I think we overlook it. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. The bond between Adam and the animals that were created. Genesis chapter 2. I'd like for you to see this and, and focus on it for a moment and think about it. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates this world and everything in it. And he, verse 31, saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. What God created was good. There was nothing wrong, nothing bad about it. And then in chapter 2, God repeats some of this after a fashion. He gives more details about it. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we find something very interesting happening. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And so God went and made Eve. No, that's not the next thing he did. When God said that, verse 19 says, And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. Now he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name of it. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. And so the next verse, God makes Eve for him as a helpmeet for him. But notice that little section there, the interlude. God looks at Adam and he said, and God knows everything, of course, but he says, Adam needs something. I need to get him a help, meat for him. And so God brings in all these animals he has created. And he says to Adam, I want you to look at them, get to know them. You don't find those words in scripture, but this seems to be the idea. And I want you to give them names. And so Adam apparently spent some time with those animals and he got to know them and what they were like and he gave them names. There, and of course, they were animals. They were not made in the image of God and so God ended up making Eve for Adam. But there was apparently a special bond between Adam and the animals there in the garden. And have you stopped to think about the fact that apparently those animals could talk with Adam and Eve? The serpent spoke to Eve and she did not recoil in horror. She was not astonished and afraid when the serpent spoke to her. Satan had entered the serpent, but the serpent spoke to her. It would lead you to believe that from time to time Eve had carried on conversations with various of the animals. She did not recoil. She simply conversed with the serpent. She replied to him. Do you remember over in Numbers chapter 22, the story of Balaam? Balaam was going against God's will and he was riding his donkey to disobey God. And suddenly the donkey came to a stop and Balaam was startled and thrown off and Balaam beat the donkey and got back on spoke harshly to it and that happened two more times the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there with his sword in the way and the donkey was saving himself and Balaam from being killed and on the third occasion as Balaam told that donkey if I had a sword I would kill you right here God gave the donkey a voice so that the donkey was able to express something to Balaam and he said apparently in Balaam's language so Balaam could understand it don't you understand I've taken you many many places and I've never plotted against you never done anything I was saving your life 
And then Balaam saw the angel of the Lord, and he was afraid as a result of it. But that donkey knew somehow in his donkey mind what was going on. And that donkey did not think, I would guess, in Balaam's language, but somehow in his donkey mind, with his donkey ability to donkey think, he knew what was happening, and he took action to try to avoid that. We sell our animals too short. Now, now those of you who have pets or have had pets that you were very close to know something about this. You know that animals can communicate. They don't talk to you like they did, the donkey did to Balaam. And if you go home and your dog talks to you that way, you might back up and take a second look at it. But you, if you have pets, you know that those pets communicate. We have uh, not had a dog for 50 years because of our responsibilities and unable to take care of it. But we've had several cats that, that we have been very close to. You dog people, forgive me. But uh, they, they communicate. Our last cat who is now gone, who has died of old age, but she was, she was a baby. She was a little cat, about five pounds. She was six pounds when she was healthy. But uh, she could look at me and she could meow in her ways. And I knew exactly what she wanted almost all the time. And she would look me up and come and tell me what she wanted. Animals can communicate. I suspect in the Garden of Eden, they communicated much better than they do now. What is my point of this? God gave animals to mankind to be a blessing and a help to us. They're very special. They were very special in God's creation. When the Bible says, when, when Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I make all things new, he said, behold, I make all things new. So yes, I do believe, based on knowing scripture, though the scripture does not state it straight out in a memory verse, I do, do believe there will be animals in eternity. And I suspect if you like a pet, Jesus, who wants to give you the most wonderful, fulfilled life, will see to it that you get that one. Now, I have had people ask me, will, will I have my cat in heaven, the one that died here? I, I would just remind you that cats and dogs and animals are not resurrected, but they will be recreated and if you had a special pet that you liked so very much, I would not be surprised. I didn't say it's going to happen, but I would not be surprised if God doesn't recreate that pet for you with all of its memories of you and your memories of it. Yes, eternity is going to be a wonderful place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many mansions. Those are homes. I suspect in the different cultures in the afterlife that they will be different kinds of homes because they will be the kinds of homes that people will enjoy and be comfortable in. But yes, you will have a home. Yes, there will be blooming plants, flowers, trees, forests. Yes, there will be animals. It will be a wonderful place. Well, I have so much I'd like to say about that, but we cannot. So I come to my last question. So what does all this have to do with me today? Turn back, it's very important. Turn back to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to see two verses. First of all, verse 9. We read these words. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, see that ye, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace 
without spot and blameless. In verse 15, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now, my message tonight has been a message that can be related to primarily by God's people, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. There may be someone here tonight or viewing by way of streaming who has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, has never called on him for forgiveness of your sins because of the payment of his precious blood for your sins. The reason these things have not happened yet is because God is not willing that you would perish. Because those who have not trusted Jesus as Savior will not be in this new world. They will be in the lake of fire forever with no hope. Dear friend, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I would invite you right now where you're sitting, don't wait another minute. In your heart, call out to God. Tell him that you believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that you believe he rose from the grave after paying for your sins with his blood and ask him to forgive you and save you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the gift of God. But oh, don't wait till tomorrow. That may be too late. Believe on Jesus and call on him tonight. Now, for most of us who are here, we know Jesus is Savior. Thank God for that. So what does this mean for us? It means, first of all, don't be discouraged. This is a discouraging world. We're living in the last days, and they're not, they're not nice. They're evil. Don't be discouraged. God is not slack concerning his promises. This is going to happen. And we are to occupy till he comes. We're not to cower in a corner. We're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. And so live for Jesus. He may come tonight for us. He may come tomorrow. But be sure he is coming. And it's a wonderful, wonderful eternity that we look forward to.